Yeah, it was it was pretty tough. I think I went through some depression. I never went to see a doctor or anything because it's kind of it's a taboo. Like oh, in in Japan, it's you know it's even more of a taboo. They're pretty strict, but depression isn't really talked about or anything. So、um, I just kind of like dealt. With it by myself, and then at a certain point, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I've been stuck in the home for like I, I stayed home for like two weeks, living by myself, and I was like, I think something's wrong. So I was fortunate that my grandma kind of saw something was going on, and she was like, Why don't you go visit your cousins in Hawaii?、Um, you know, she'll she'll pay for my flight. Just book your flight and go to Hawaii. And so I did, and you know it's a similar island. Well, it, it's a similar island to Guam, except on a, you know, on a bigger scale. There's more people there. And when I went to visit, I had so much fun. And when I went back to Japan, I was like, okay, I need a, I need to get out of this black hole that I dug myself in Japan. And so it, it made me quit college in Japan.、Um, And come back to Guam, which was tough during. You know, when it's happening, it's pretty tough. But looking back at it now, it's like it was a blessing in disguise. Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and we're here to shine a light on people that are looking, finding, and living their purpose. No one that comes on this show claims to have figured it all out, but what we do claim is that we are open to the process. Manami Ajima Martin is a professional triathlete from Guam who is making a name for herself in the sport as she represents the island she loves. A swimmer from a very young age. Manami carries her competitiveness in the water to her professional career. She was first out of the water in Oceanside just a few months ago, where she finished eighth on the day, and second out of the water at Ironman 70.3 Indian Wells, where I believe she placed 15th pro that day as well.、Uh, she moved up the PTO ranks in 2021 and holds the goal to crack the top 100 in 2022 amongst a field of top-notch females. She's passionate about putting Guam on the map in the triathlon world, and we believe that she is definitely a woman to watch in these coming years. Manami, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, and what a what an amazing intro! I don't see myself <laughs> <laughs> up there. It's hard, right? To, thank you. But you know, eighth at Oceanside, like that is that's pretty impressive, and I think you just eked out a couple of races in 2021, right? Just, just the two.、Um, I think I got lucky in Oceanside. I had a great day. I mean, I didn't have the best bike or anything like phenomenal, but、um, it just—I had like such good vibes, and I stayed with you know another professional triathlete, Kevin, and you know they had a dog, and it just was everything was so smooth and so positive that I think it reflected on my race that day. Mm, yeah, it's it's、uh, the environment is really、mm-hmm. strong, and we know Kevin. Kevin is actually who introduced us to you and said we have to get you on the show.、Um, and let's just take a moment for I think we all have a shared love for Bentley, their dog. 
Oh my gosh, he oh is my gosh. so fun. We played fetch like every day for I don't know an hour. <laughs> he is. He is when he's Clark's buddy. I mean, yeah, we've watched Clark him and him are friends, times, and he's just. Oh, you have. And he, he's so different from Clark because he's tiny. Like he can you can like pick him up and put him on your shoulder, and he's such a love though, such a love. He's a cavapoo, and when we when we had him, uh, he stayed with us for like five days or something once, and I was like looking up cavapoo rescues. I was just like, I want to get another one before they come back and take this one away. He's he amazing. Is so cute, yeah. So in the environment, in that environment, you you were um, you're a little bit more calm. Like you had Kevin around, you had Marisa around, and the puppy, and the environment was cool. Do you normally? Well, I guess there's not many races, but do you, do you feel excitement before races? Is there like a anxiousness that you have or have um, experienced? Um. Well, I get pretty nervous, so I haven't yeah. raced in a while. Um, and Oceanside was like. I haven't raced since 2019, like in the summer, because I got injured in 2019. So my season ended early and then, you know, 2020 happened and then I haven't been able to race. So I got super nervous. I mean, I cried a few times in the bathroom before like getting myself straight, but um, having them around was like so comforting and just reassuring that we just do this for fun. And Kevin kept yelling, big heart, big heart. So I was like, okay, you know, we're doing this because we love the sport. So it was really reassuring to have them and just, it was very fun. Yeah. And that swim is no joke. It was pretty rough that day and some good surf. And we heard, um, we had some friends who raced it, some athletes that raced it. And we heard like, once you turn that first buoy, it was pretty rough out there until you turned in towards the marina. And is that something that you're practiced in? I don't know how the surf is in Guam. No, we, we're, we're um, surrounded by a reef, so we never get, like, swells, like, right, you know, a couple steps in. We don't have those massive waves. It's just pancake flat year-round, um, crystal clear, and pretty warm, like, in the 80s. So <laughs> we're pretty fortunate and lucky that we have it. So when I um, first, when Kevin and Kevin took me for an ocean swim, I was like, oh my gosh, we're swimming in this because <laughs> we never have it. So um, I pr- got to practice like two twice before the race and I was like, okay, um, let's just hope I'm a good enough swimmer to just, just keep swimming. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, to get, sometimes you can't get past the waves, right? But that you had that in your you know, you've got that in your blood, um, being a swimmer for so long. And, and let's actually dive into that because you got into the water at a really young age. Like most of us triathletes are like getting in the water at like 30, 29. Some people yeah. start triathlon in their 60s and they're just like starting to learn how to swim. How young were you when you got into the water for the first time? Um, I started not team swimming, but baby infant swimming when I was like three. But I'm pretty sure I went in the water when I was like one or two because my mom and dad, or well, my dad used to swim and my mom did it like, you know, recreationally. So I was, I was pretty young and fortunate that they were swimmers. Yeah. Was your dad a competitive swimmer? Um, he wasn't 
that competitive. I think he was um, just doing it like a, as a club sport, like a, just a fun thing. A little bit competitive, but um, nothing super serious. And when did you start competing? Uh, oh, <laughs> I think I was like six or seven years old. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, yeah. it's, I don't remember being six or seven years old. I don't but remember that. Do you remember having like a little fire of competition in you being that young? Um, I, rem- <laughs> I actually remember my first swim meet. Um, I was, I think, six. Um, and I did like a 25-yard backstroke. And it was my first time competing, so I didn't know what I was doing. But I was like, okay try to swim as fast as you can kind of thing. And I, I was doing backstroke and I just rammed into the wall, but I remember winning my first event. So I was like, okay, yeah. And it was just fun. All these other then, kids were around. And where did it go from there? Like, did you just grow up around the pool? And Yeah, I was, um, so we moved to Guam when I, was around five and just got in the pool like right away, started competing and we were practicing probably every day. Yeah, or in the beginning it was probably like three or four times a day and then um, all of a sudden my dad started coaching the team. So we were at the pool every single day. (laughs) Yeah. And you had no, um, there was no hesitation? Like this felt so... Mm, you felt so connected with it? Um, I think I was more of the socializer. So there was a lot of kids my age and I just had fun hanging out and playing around with them. And I think I wasn't really thinking that, oh, it's swim practice. It was more like, okay, I get to hang out with my friends. So let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that social element, that social aspect, community aspect of it, that really yes. it pulled you in. Yeah. And did you have, uh, I'm assuming you had friends and uh, close friends that were doing the same thing. And so it actually even made it like non-competitive or probably maybe a little bit more competitive because you had, because you had friends. Yeah, not during, not during training, but um, <laughs> like the swim meets, it was pretty competitive. And I just viewed training as I get to spend time with my friends. Let's chat every you know every interval we we go to swim we have like 10 or 15 seconds rest so we try to chat as much as we can in those 10 or 15 seconds and then do another interval so it was pretty fun and so were you born in japan yes i was born in japan and i stayed there until i was five years old and so what was the what was it like growing up on on Guam? Um it was it was swimming really swimming focused because my dad was the coach but um I remember like my grandparents coming to visit and we just hang out and do I don't know it was just we can do anything any time of day and it gets hot and we just hang out. It was just pretty chill, I guess, because it's an what's island. The, but what, what's the, yeah, what's the culture like? Because I'm thinking that there's a, there's definitely a culture difference between the pace 
of Japan. And and granted, you were five when you moved, but I know you went back to Japan and like the pace of, of life. What are, can you share with us some of like the, maybe the cultural values or the way of life on Guam? So I found that island life is really, you know, it's laid back, it's super chill, um, and everyone's super friendly. And um, most people, or a lot of the people are family-oriented. So even if you're not family, they kind of treat you as family. Like, we made a ton of friends here, and they just invite us to, like, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and all these events, and we just you know, hang out and eat and drink and just chit chat. And it's, it's been really nice because on Guam or in Japan, it's like you live like hours away from your family. So you don't know if you're hanging out that weekend or, you know, it just takes time to get together and the pace is super fast. So it's like, you can't really relax. As much as on Guam, you can just like go to your friend's house. It's a five minute drive and just chill. So it's pretty nice. Yeah, Guam's pretty awesome. And then what took you to Japan? You went to Japan, back to Japan for high school. What took you back there? Yes. Um, so I couldn't speak Japanese. So it's kind of interesting because I couldn't speak English when I came to Guam when I was five years old. Um, picked it up fairly quick. You know, you pick it, pick stuff up really quick when you're a kid. So I picked it up fairly quick and then I forgot Japanese. <laughs> so my mom threw me into Japanese school in the eighth grade and I did all right. Um, well, not really. I picked it up again, but, um, she was like, okay, you went to, you, you did a year and a half in Japanese school. You can either go to high school in Japan and continue learning Japanese or, you know, or go back to school on Guam. And at that point, I think I was kind of excited to leave the island a little bit and experience um, Japanese culture. I mean, because mm. I've never really actually experienced it. So, yeah, I think language... It took me, and also I know they had a um, a good swimming program at the high school I was looking at, so my dad agreed on that because he wanted me to continue swimming. So those are the two reasons. So how did you end up getting into triathlon from being a swimmer? Because that you're doing three, four workouts a day, you're telling us, and you're going to Japan, they have a better swim program. How do you roll in, that into a uh, swim, bike, run? Um, so I quit, I retired, (laughs) retired from swimming the first year of college in Japan. It was just, it just got out of control. I was living by myself for the first time, um, swimming from like 5 a.m. to 8 a.m., going to a full class throughout the day, and then swimming again from 6 p.m. to 8 and then going back home and doing that again every day. So it was pretty hectic. And I think I went into a bad, like a pretty dark place. So I was like, okay, I think I'm, I'm done with swimming. So then, you know, when you're swimming like multiple hours a day and then not doing that anymore, you kind of get lazy and 
chunky. <laughs> so chunky. And then I came back to Guam um, and my mom just said, why don't you start running with me? And I did, which led to me meeting a professional triathlete on Guam. And so she was like, hey, there's this aquathon, this swim run on the beach. Why don't you give it a go? And then I did and accidentally won it from my swimming background. <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't know about the sport until then. Um, but it was pretty fun. Was that the first yeah. time you actually swam and then ran after you swam? Mm-hmm. Was there in it that race? It was so hard. Yeah, it was. I had no training. I was running like on and off for a month or two back then. Um, I haven't swam for like three years when I did that. So I was like, okay, let me just give it a go. And I guess my swimming fitness from the past years helped me. But it was very hard. Very hard. Uh, and just to to go back a little bit. Um, to, I was thinking like you were saying you were swimming so much and you're going to school and you kind of went into this dark place and then you stopped swimming. And we know like we know how good, even if we don't want to get out the door, we know that we always feel better on the other side of a workout. So um, when swimming got taken away and you're, you know, you're in your school and things like that and you're living alone, that must have been tough. Was that a tough time for you? Yeah, it was. It was pretty tough. I think I went through some depression. I never went to see a doctor or anything because it's kind of, it's a taboo. Like, oh, in in Japan, it's, you know, it's even more of a taboo. They're pretty strict, but depression isn't really talked about or anything. So um, I just kind of like dealt with it by myself. And then at a certain point, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I've been stuck in the home for like, I, I stayed home for like two weeks living by myself and I was like, I think something's wrong. So um, I was fortunate that my grandma kind of saw something was going on and she was like, why don't you go visit your cousins in Hawaii? Um, you know, she'll, she'll pay for my flight, just book your flight and go to Hawaii. And so I did, and you know, it's a similar island. Well, it, it's a similar island to Guam, except on a, you know, on a bigger scale, there's more people there. And when I went to visit, I was like, I had so much fun. And when I went back to Japan, I was like, okay, I need to, I need to get out of this black hole that I dug myself in Japan. And so it, it made me, um, quit college in Japan um, and come back to Guam, which was tough during, you know, when it's happening, it's pretty tough. But looking back at it now, it's like it was a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Yeah, And I think, thank you for sharing that. I think it's so important. um, You know, we, I think we need to talk about these things and that, you know, they're not taboo and they're really normal. And I think that, you know, we can go, we can live the span of all emotions within one day, you know, and, and so sometimes things do get heavy and, and, um, 
yeah, uh, to be able to recognize that, to recognize that you weren't in a good space and leave school for it. Because I, I'm assuming maybe the culture is like, you know, just suck it up and finish your school and, and do yeah. the things and get the job and make the money. And so that was really brave. And, you know, there's no, I don't see much, uh, you know, when I say brave, like I even think about you jumping in the water at Oceanside, like that's so brave. It was so brave of you to quit school and take care of your health. And so um, thank you for sharing that with us because that was you're, you're young and, and um, maybe haven't talked about it a lot publicly, but mm -hmm. I think it's important. And, um, you know, you're a wonderful role model for people. And just to know that you're human, things happen. Thank you. I'm trying not to cry, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think everyone goes through it at a certain point. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's just people don't talk about it, right? And especially in Japan, um, you know, you try to get into the best college, you try to, you know, you're always, because st studies are so important. Um, I, you know, it's a culture where you try to get into the best college, you try to get into the best job, like even if it's, you know, if it's the name of the college, you just, you know, strive for, strive for the best and, that's what I've been taught to do. So when I had to take a step back and say, oh, I can't make it, you know, I can't do it. It was just like, it was kind of embarrassing, but something that I needed to do. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when we're always just like striving the best, the best, the best, the best, the best, it's like, are we taking time to say like, do I love what I'm doing? Like, is my heart full? Am I happy? Do I feel fulfilled? You know, yeah. we're striving, striving, striving for things outside of us. Um, so yeah, that's, thank you. Yeah. And I love that sort of what sparked the, I would say the, that awareness was like being with family, being with community, being with your friends in, in Hawaii, like, we we're, we've we've just come out of this whole you know year and a half of like separation and ex you know exclusiveness and I think this just demonstrates that it, the power of community the power of love and being with familiarity with being with family I think it's really powerful and, and to take that um, back and 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 then shift your life and and then go back to Guam where you had family and I think it's just important to to stress that, you know, we, we, you're always supported and that family can be, you know, it can be the triathlon community. Um, yeah. but it's, it's like-minded people that understand and that, and I, I just want to, you know, echo what Jess was saying and in sharing that, um, because it, when it's out in the open, it, it, be, it becomes real, real, right. When you start sharing it, it's like, like really real. Um, and you yeah. open yourself up, but it's also like, <laughs> Oh my God, You've, you're just going to be surrounded by love and people that have felt similar, similar things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's crazy what the past year and a half like has taught us, I think is, you know, you can't take anything for granted and mm -hmm. it's families, you know, so important, even if you're just connected through the phone or anything, it's just family, friends, it's, they're, they're always there to support you just have to ask for it. And yeah. asking is 
asking is hard, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, the what's coming up, the word that's coming up for me is vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't sound like there was a lot of room for your life in Japan for vulnerability. And um yeah. and then sometimes when we talk about things like this or like you know, like you talking about this on the show, like you and I've had it so many times on this podcast is like <laughs> a vulnerability hangover, you know? Where the microphone gets shit we're done recording and it's like, oh my God, what did I say? I'm so vulnerable right now. And um but I but I feel like vulnerability in and I want to get your take on this, I feel like it's an important quality for pursuing triathlon, endurance sports, um, especially at the pro level, to put yourself out there and show up to these races. And, you know, you don't know who's going to be showing up on race day, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, for sure. I mean, not not just the racing too, but um, the training, you know, you well, I didn't know anything about the sport, so I had to say, oh, I don't know what I'm doing and get help from finding a coach to getting a bike. And yeah, it's just you're in this position where you absolutely, or I was in this position where I absolutely didn't know anything aside from swimming. So I had to ask for so much help and... Yeah, you 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 really don't know even if the training's gonna you know go well or not, and <laughs> you really have to expect the unexpected and you know just be open, pretty much to anything. Mm-hmm. And just when when you don't know something, just say I don't know. Could you help me, mm-hmm. please? <laughs> yeah, I don't know is a, is yeah. a completely acceptable <laughs> answer. <laughs> yeah. So but, how do yeah. you go, um, when did you start triathlon from the, so you did the aquathon, you accidentally won it, um, because you probably blew everybody out of the water and then where does the, where does like putting it all together? when do you do your first triathlon? Um, so I didn't have a bike, um, and I had some money from college, you know, not using that money towards, um towards my credits. So I was like, okay, I'll just buy a bike with the money I have instead of going to school. So I bought a um, like an entry-level carbon bike. It was like, I think, $1,500 at the time and had no clue what I was doing. I was still using running shoes and, you know, flat pedals and there was a local triathlon where I came in second to the female, the professional triathlete back then. And she was like, you race like you've done this before. You know, you really have a shot at this. You should give it a try. And that kind of started it all again. Yeah. So I did a couple more local tries and... Um, I also went back to school on Guam and triathlon was a lot of training and I couldn't commit to it fully. So I said, okay, maybe I'll just stick to running for now. And I took a couple years off of triathlon again. And I said, and, and then in 2017, I was like, okay, maybe I'm, I'll give it a go again. And that's how it happened. <laughs> Do you think that time you spent away from it and working on your run 
Um, not to say you weren't, a, I don't know what your level was as a runner, but from my experience, swimmers, uh, that's one of the most challenging things because you're going from no impact to pretty much the most yeah. impactful thing you can do on your body. I, I think, I think, oh, mm, <laughs> I wish I biked more. <laughs> I wish I used a bike when I wasn't biking because I'm not a great biker, but we're working on that. Um, and yeah, you might, you, I think you are right that I, it was a good thing that I focused on running because I've, I've had some like shin splints and niggles when I tried running during that time. And I think it helped my, like it created my body to become more, um, more like have more strength to be actually be able to, you know, deal with the impact. Mm -hmm. Because in the beginning, I was having, like, I would go on a 30-minute run, finish, and the next day I would have shin splints or, you know, it would, I would just be in so much pain because in swimming, we don't really have, we, like, the only impact we have is kicking off the wall, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> so I think, yeah, it did help. Yeah, and what I find is, is these swimmers, they, they have, but they're, they're lung capacity, they're, they're, cardiovascular like levels are off the charts like you've got that 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 system that engine going and then it comes down to exactly what we just talked about when you get to that run like the mm -hmm. the ability for the bones to handle the the constant pounding like they they're not they're not um, being taxed enough in the pool in order to expand and grow and be able to handle that the volume that you want to put on it so it's only natural that those that shin splints would show up or maybe some other niggles, but, um, sounds like obviously you worked your way through that and was able to, was able to adapt eventually. Yes. Yeah. It took, took quite a, took about four years to kind of get used to it. Yeah, running is a lot of impact. I don't know how everyone, you know, some marathoners can run like a hundred miles a week. I'm like, man, at 20, I feel it. So that's, yeah. that was, yeah. Um, so when you started getting back into it in 2017, did you hire a coach? Were you training yourself? Yeah, so um, I just finished uh, reading Chrissy Wellington's um, biography, A Life Without Limits, and I was like, okay, her coach is Brett Sutton. So I, I Googled, and I saw that he had this whole team of coaches, and I just chose... Um, a person that was in my time zone and <laughs> and uh, whoever had the most experience. And I think I got pretty lucky because I guess my coach is the one that coaches the coaches to become coaches. Mm -hmm. So he, you know, mm -hmm. he puts the program together. So my coach is in Australia. Um, we're in the same time zone. Um, and he... His name is Robert Pickard, and he's been working with Brett Sutton for a long time. So I've been pretty fortunate to find him that way. That's all. So you've been with him since, since 2017? With him since, yes. Wow. So would you say, because, you know, talking with, you know, in the realm of Brett Sutton, it's mostly volume. Right, so you get you get a mm -hmm. lot of volume and consistency in there, right? And of course, there's the mm -hmm. intensity and all of that. But um, is that what you've been experiencing? Is it a lot? Like, what, what's your typical day? How many hours you spend, roughly? Um, like in like when you're starting to ramp up for. Well, I've never hit like 
25, 30 hours or anything like that. Um, I think mostly, I think, I, I've never really asked him this, but I think he made it to a point where I don't ramp it up too, too much. Um, when I first started off with him, it was about like 10 to 12 hours, which I think isn't a lot, um, considering I'm, or now that I'm a professional, I was looking back and I'm like, 10 to 12 hours is like a, you know, like a normal week. Because if you do three hours on the bike, that's already one third of your training week. Mm -hmm. So um, I think he slowly built me up. Um, even with that, um, I would only hit about 20 hours, even when I'm training hard. But um, I don't swim that much. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, someone who's super strong, although the swimming is so great for recovery and, and mm -hmm. to keep the, the body you know, balanced. So what does the breakdown look like? Are you swimming like twice a week or once a week or maybe a little bit oh, longer? I, su I su still swim about um, four to five times a week, but okay. it's only like 3K. So in total, I would get like three, three hours, two and a half, three hours of swimming, which I know isn't a lot. Um, and I don't feel beat up in the water at all. So... That's been that. And we are trying to work on my bike, so it's been 10 to 12 hours on the bike, which is still not a lot. Um, he's still trying to get me used to the training. And I also run about five hours, four to five hours a week, I think. So, yeah, yeah I, I, love the, um, I love the swimming because it's not so much about, it's about frequency in the water. It's about not losing that touch in the water, mm -hmm. that feel in the water. And I think that's yes. a wonderful message for people who are listening, especially if they have tight schedules, is, you know, it doesn't matter if you're going to the pool for half an hour or 45 mm -hmm. minutes or 20 minutes. It's that frequency of, of getting that getting feel for the water. Mm -hmm. Yes, for yeah, sure. It makes such a big difference. If you're swimming once or twice a week and you've got three or four days in between, then you've you're really not giving yourself, or you're, you're, I mean, even, even let's talk about four to five times a week for someone who isn't a swimmer. Like that's still, that's let's just still say an hour, that's four hours in a whole week that you're spending in this environment. It's really not a lot. Like the gains are going to be minimal, but you know, I think, I think um, you've touched upon it twice now. Like you think that the, the time has been not what you expect, like 10 to 12 hours and even 20, like, How's your how's your relationship with patience and trusting the process? Well, we all get impatient, right? <laughs> <laughs> But I think I've been fairly good because um, so in 2019 I did get an injury because I was trying to prove myself, like, hey, I I can do this, I can do that, and I got injured just by ramping it up, you know, right too too quickly, um, and even though it. Even though biking is still a low-impact sport, I think that you still have to build your way up since, you know, I came from a non-impact sport and biking and running, it's a lot on the body. So when I tried to ramp up the bike and the run, it was just like a recipe for disaster. <laughs> I had a stress fracture in my femoral neck. So since then, I've been pretty patient and 
Whenever I feel a niggle coming on, I just back off right away instead of trying to push through. Because I, I know I want to continue the sport for a long time instead of just, you know, until the next race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, playing the long game. That's uh, I, I it's really important. because. So. <laughs> well, we all want to, we want to get there super quick. Um, it's our tendency oh, as, sure. <laughs> as athletes, right? Like I want to run a sub 130. Like I want to be running with the with those fast people. Um, but it, it is, the, it's the long game. And if you take that practice of, of listening to yourself, I think that's really important that if you feel niggles, like to back off where I think the ego is mm-hmm. like, I know I can push through this and get, get further along, but what, at what for cost? Sure. At what cost? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I didn't know what a niggle was. I just felt, okay, it, maybe it's muscle pain. You know, in the beginning, I don't know if it's just me, but I didn't know what would cause an injury. I thought injuries just came like that day and not, you know, not over time. So I was like, I didn't know. And I, when, I, when I pushed the boundary or when I pushed that niggle too far, it was just, okay, oh, this is what a niggle is. So I was like, okay, I just have to really listen to my body and a niggle is a pain, you know, like a pain, like on a scale of one to 10, it might be like a six or a seven or maybe a seven or seven. So when you feel like that pain, you need to back off. But in the Mm -hmm. beginning, I didn't know that. I just thought, you know, it's just some achy muscles. Yeah, I I mean, and I think, you know, you get better, right? Hopefully you won't have a lot of experience with injury, but uh, I certainly have had lots of experience and you get better at it. You're like, oh yeah, no, that's something. (laughs) Oh yeah, no, 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 I'm going to back off. And uh, um, so not racing since 2019 and then you came Mm -hmm. back, you had two pretty good races. You feel good about those? Like your placements Um, and... Yes and no. I mean, we always strive for, you know, getting on the podium or a top five or, you know, a good race. So in Oceanside, I was pretty happy because I think everyone was happy. So I was happy too. And I haven't raced. So it was just like a celebration of getting to a race and getting to the finish line and just having a blast, you know, having so much fun. Um, I was smiling throughout the race course and, you know, it was just super fun. And then I was like, okay, Indian Wells, I'm going to stop talking on the run and actually try to, <laughs> try to, you know, give it my like absolute best. Um, but my mindset was a little different. It was just not super happy as I thought. I was excited. But I think we just rushed through like getting to a race and going to race and, you know, but it was still both a pretty, I, I think, pretty good race. A lot of learning um, was done, which was the absolute goal um, because you can't really learn as much in training as in racing. So the experience mm-hmm. was, was a positive can you share something that you took away from it that you learned that you'll put into into practice? I really need to work on the bike. <laughs> that's a fast bike. It's really flat yeah, and it's oh, really Wells, fast. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, Indian Wells. I mean, 
these girls were just fun. I came in, I came out second in the water. And um, when I got on, on my bike, I was probably like sixth or seventh or something like that. So these girls were just, you know, they worked the transition really well and then get on the bike and are so fast. I couldn't even hang with most of the girls. I was just like, okay, I really need to work on my bike. And the same thing did happen in Oceanside where the girls just, you know, flew past me and I couldn't really hang with them. So that's the main part. <laughs> We're going to work on the bike. What is the cycling like on Guam? Like, because you've got Oceanside, which is not a flat course, and then you mm -hmm. have Indian Wells, which is like pancake flat. So what's the terrain you're training on um, at home? Um, so Guam is one loop around the island is about 70 miles, which is pretty, you know, it's pretty small. Um, but the northern, northern island is flat, fairly flat. And then the southern is volcanic, so it's mountainous, it's hilly. But um, our longest climb is about 5K or three miles or a little over three miles. So you kind of get everything, just not like a super long climb around the island. Like a sustained and, climb, yeah. Yeah, there's no like, um, you know, I see a lot of athletes doing these one hour climbs. I'm like, one hour climb? You know, we only have like a 20 minute climb. So it's pretty interesting. Um, uh, there's one main road that goes around the island. So if you stay on that, you can do a loop around the island. And it's pretty, it's, it's now riding around in California and in, and in Hawaii, I think Guam is, the road surface is pretty good as well. Yeah. Yeah, what was Not your the take best, on... But it's pretty good. I'm sorry. Okay. What was your take on riding in Southern California? I'm sure you went out with Kevin. Uh, yeah. Separate from the course. Yeah. Uh-huh. He took me on this bike path, which was amazing. You know, no traffic or anything. Um, and then we got on the highway and I was... Or the highway or one of the roads. And I was like, whoa, this is pretty interesting. You know, you need to keep... You know, you need to be aware of everything. But aside from that, I, I was like, man, I need to come out here more and try to get some riding in. I, I could tell why all these people are so strong is, you know, they have unlimited amount of road and just, yeah, it was super nice. It was super fun. And there's a nice yeah, we, group. So. Yeah, we live in the um, mm. same town as Kevin. So we're right down the street from where you raced in oh, Oceanside. We live in, in, we live in Carlsbad too. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, that's why Bentley okay. came and stayed with us. <laughs> Oh, and if Kevin's oh, listening, we want nice Bentley thing. back. Yeah, Kevin, Bentley's coming back. <laughs> I, I don't gonna, know if we were yeah. bad I dog think he sitters. Wants Clark, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He almost didn't give our dog back last time. Um, so you've been working with your coach. I think you are, are getting set up for a long, successful career. It really sounds I like you so. know this kind of this slow build, putting these layers on. And you're young. How mm -hmm. old are you in your 30s or are you still in your 20s? Oh, not as young as I was when I started, but I'm 29 <laughs> years old. <laughs> I'm almost 30. I'm kind of nervous. I hear that when you're 30, you know, you start feeling it more on the body and, you know, you just start thinking about having kids or all that. So I'm like, oh man, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to yeah. be 30 yet. 
Just be 29. Just be 29. Just be 29 yes. right now. Um, <laughs> so what's the, what's the dream? Do you have a dream of where you'd like to take your career? I actually do. So I recently got naturalized as a U.S. citizen. Um, and the reason being was that I can't fully represent Guam. Um, I'm, although I'm under the, uh, the Guam flag for Ironmans, I can't race any like ITU races or any race that goes under like the National Federation. I can't do that. So I want to be one of the first Guam triathletes to represent in the Olympics, which is a big thing. So that, that's the goal. Wow, that's amazing. So you have to get a, a U.S. passport in, in yes. to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And then did you have to give up your citizenship in Japan? I d- yes, I did. I had mm. to give up my, yeah, and I love, I love holding, I love representing both, both Japan and Guam. They're, they're totally different. You know, you have this island style and then you have like on the opposite and it's Japan's like, you know, it's really structured, really focused. You're really committed and just, it's, it's all or nothing where Guam is, you know, like, like chill and it's super fun. You know, you can keep it fun here because you see like so many people just smiling and just, it's just this warm environment. So I was like, man, do I want to give it up or do I not? But, you know, ultimately Guam is home. Um, I've spent my more, more time in Guam than in Japan. So if, I were to refer myself am I Japanese or am I an islander? I would say like I'm more of an islander part Japanese instead of Japanese part islander. Mm. So it would and, be nice uh, to oh. No, go sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I think it's the glitch, right? The little like yeah. the time yeah. lapse. We're, oh, yeah. we're connecting all the way to Guam right now. That's just so, so nuts, cool. like how far away it we did. are. And you're, but I feel like you're like eight inches from me, you know? Yeah, you're literally, you're right there. <laughs> I know. So we yeah, have a little bit of, of a delay, guys. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, and Japan has a really strong, they have pretty strong female mm-hmm. ITU athletes. They do. Um, so the reason why I didn't try to go for Japan was because I live in Guam and if you want to represent Japan you have to go through all their triathlon process which I have no clue but I heard it's pretty lengthy and Guam is home. So to get to the Olympics you need to you know get to that distance now that you're you've got the passport would you are you going to start to focus on Olympic distance or are you still going to do 70.3 because they're so close? Or is that still, not even an idea, a thought yet? Um, I still will be doing both um, just because, I mean, I know that there's so many athletes that can do both and I feel that it complements each other. Um, and with my swimming background, I'm hoping it will help me 
with the ITU racing, with all the drafting that's possible, and I just need to get better drafting and running off the bike at a higher speed than what we would do in a 70.3. And I've seen, like, under the Triceto team, you know, like Nicholas Spirig, she does everything. And even when Daniela was transitioning, she was still racing ITU and doing some 70.3. So I, I think it's, I think it's possible. And seeing like Lucy Charles do everything, she's, you know, all these athletes are amazing. So I think it's just that if we limit ourselves, then we won't be able to do it. But as long as we try to do it, I think it's possible. Mm, yeah. 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 And even if you don't have all the information yet, because I'm assuming, is there still some unknown about what it's going to take for you to get to the Olympics? Or is that... Because yeah, you'd be the still... first... Yeah, you'd be the first, right? Yes. Um, yeah, we kind of have not no clue, but we're still <laughs> like reading the documents and trying to reach out to people to see what we need to do and what we need to get. Um, I heard that there's like a limit of athletes that can race in those ITU events. So you need to get on their waiting list and, you know, accumulate points to actually be able to go and race. So I thought that was interesting because, you know, in a 70.3, you just kind of sign up and, you know, there's... It, we're lucky if we have like 50 people show up, right? I mean, that rarely happens, but <laughs> yeah, it's a totally new, a different thing. And I don't think people understand that there's different levels of the Olympic distance draft legal racing before mm -hmm. you get to ITU. So like you just said, you can't just jump into, um, you know, an ITU race. But so are you planning to start racing some of those cup races? Yes, I hope so. And I, I think I'm pretty lucky that I'm in Guam because we we are right near Japan or Korea or Hong Kong where they do those um, like the, the Asia Cup, which is a lower tier event compared to, you know, the World Cups, which is the, you know, the big the big dogs where the big dogs are at. Um, and we're so far from Europe that we can't just say, okay, we'll jump on a plane and go do the European Cup. Um, so I think I'm pretty lucky that there's Asian Cups or Oceania Cups. Um, I'm not really sure what they're called, but we're, I'm fortunate that I can just go to these Asian events. It's, you know, Japan's about three hours away, so it's not too bad to get there. And so they're going to have to, like, there. there's no other professional Guam athletes that are racing at this draft legal. So, like, this is, you're creating all of this. this. Like you're, paving, yeah. you're paving, you're paving the way. Yeah, it's like Flora Duffy. Yeah. yeah, she can be exactly like Flora Duffy. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. whenever I see her, you know, whenever I read about her or watch watch her stuff on YouTube, I'm just like, man, this this could be me, hopefully, as long as I work hard and we figure out where to go and where to race. Yeah. yeah. So you'll, as you do this, I'm assuming you're going to shoot to do some of these in 2022, like, 
Yes. Is there, do you have a national, like, because they're all in their kind of their national kits, you know, their race kits and stuff like that. No, you got to pave the way for all of this for the future. That's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, we haven't talked about kits or anything. I don't have any. Um, so we'll have to make one. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you have to get one that says Guam on it. Yeah. <laughs> God, that's it's pretty amazing. interesting because, you know, we don't know what we're doing. Or like everything that you think is ready is not ready because there's no one in my that's been in my situation. So I guess I've never even thought about the kids and everything. Thanks. That's a good list. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Put that on the list. That's another one. Um, I'm sure Flora will let you, you know, yeah, borrow just, hers, and then you can just scrub out Bermuda and you can put Guam <laughs> in there. Um, so, speaking of the future and paving the way for the future, you are working with kids and you're teaching swimming, and I, I want to hear about that because these are little tiny people, like about your age, right? When not your age now, but your age oh, when you started yeah. swimming way back when. Oh, for sure. Um, so I work with mainly three to four-year-olds or maybe three to five-year-olds and these kids have you know are afraid of putting their head in the water getting you know just they're afraid of the water but um, I do this program for 10 days 10 minutes 10 minutes every day for 10 days straight and by the end of it they're just like let me in the water let me in the water I don't want to get out so, yeah, I start off with them, you know, just screaming and crying that they don't want to get in or give me mommy, give me daddy to, you know, just loving the water. So it's a great way to, um, you know, work with the next generation. And I really believe in that swimming should be a fun sport, especially in the beginning, because... You know, when you do it for so long in such a small, you know, a controlled environment or not controlled, but, a, you know, a pool, it's you're going back and forth and you don't really get to explore much in a pool. I think that you have to find the fun in the sport to do it for a long time because it is rewarding. I think it helps you know, focus the mind, right? Like, because we're always looking for some form of entertainment, right? We're looking at social media or the TV or Netflix or something. But when you're yeah. confined to the pool, when you're confined to the pool, you just, you, you, you are, you, I'm sure you drift off. I've heard you talk about sleeping. Um, you've almost fell oh, asleep, yeah. asleep in the pool, but it does hone you in your focus and it. awareness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, you learn, you totally learn how to like deal with, you know, you, it takes me 20 or 23 strokes to get to the other side. So when you swim so much, you can kind of close your eyes and go on autopilot sometimes. But I feel like in swimming, you're, you are more aware of what your body is doing and what your body can do. So it really helps. Yeah, being a swimmer. So when these kids are like freaking out and they don't want to get in the water because they're so scared, how do you encourage them to, to get in? Like, how do you, you're so, you have such a sweetness about you. Like, I know you're fierce and I know you're really competitive, but you've got this very uh, nurturing piece of you. And so I'm curious as to how do you get them eventually in the water? 
Well, um, I think I'm a strict coach a little bit in a way because you kind of have to not dunk them in, but you kind of have to dunk them in and teach them the repetitive motion. And they, and kids, well, kids will cry. So you kind of have to deal with it. Like, <laughs> there's no um, getting around not, it. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there isn't because, you know, even as an adult going into an uncomfortable situation, you just, you either do it or not do it. And you have to do it to get better. So with these kids, you know, you, I have to kind of put them in the water, even though they're crying. And I have to hold myself back from saying, oh, you're crying, you know, it's okay, it's okay. Because that's sometimes not the way to go. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're, you get their higher... <laughs> there's there's a bigger purpose to what you're doing. Like, I, I, would, yeah. I would speak for myself. 25 years down the road, I'm going to be like, thank you for dunking my head in the water because I understood that I needed to learn something and move through this so I could grow. It was a growth spurt for me. Oh, for sure. I mean, the parents that are watching have have it, like, harder because they see their kid crying and, you know, they want to help them and, you know, stop them from crying. But... You know, when you do that, it just holds them back from their success, right? And it's only that they'll be crying until like probably the sixth day. And after that, they're just like, they would want to go in and do everything themselves. So it's, it's, an, it's a pretty amazing process. Um, I love to get that 10-day session into like a one-minute video eventually to show how like adaptable kids are and how amazing like what 10 minutes every day can do for the kids yeah for for adults too yeah, yeah for adults oh, for adults too <laughs> it's hard you to have, teach adults <laughs> so do you have a story about any of like something that really stood out about like the 10 the 10 minutes 10 days like from the time a kid got in into what they were like at that on that 10th day they're pretty much all the same. Well, no, not really. I had this one kid who just cried for the first day. And the second day, he was already like dunking himself in the water and l loving everything. So I'm like, wow, this kid and this kid is has a runner dad and a pretty athletic mom. So I was like, man, are these like just really good genes? Because I, I, that's the only child that I had that stopped crying on the second day mm. and wanting to just jump in and had no fear. Did you create this program, this 10 minutes over 10 days? No, I didn't. Um, there's, I forgot his name, but there was a guy that would fly around the world to teach, to teach that way. And I tried it myself and it actually worked if you do it the proper way, I guess. And he teaches like classes, which I haven't gotten to do yet, but it's been pretty successful. That's so cool. Do you know his name? Um, I'd have to research. Oh, I could send his name to you. Um, I think it was like Swim to John. 
I'll check it out. We'll put it a show think, a link in the show notes because you never know if somebody's listening to this and they're like, "Oh my god, I want to, I want to start that," you know, with in my local adults community. too. Yeah. Like I, I know adults <laughs> that will kick and scream before they get in the water. It's mostly like getting comfortable in the water, and then it's like a water safety program. So like if they fall, if like if a three year old falls in the water that's never been in the water, they'll they'll drown, right? Or they'll need like they'll need help to get themselves back out. But the pro this program, like if a three if they go through the program, they know what to do if they fall in the water. They turn themselves around and swim back to the water. It's not really like a I'll do freestyle kind of thing. It's a it's it's basically water safety. So the kids I teach, you know, they could they could basically fall in the water and get themselves out. Hmm. Um, have you you took a break from swimming when you were in college, and I'm assuming you were just kind of burnt out from it. Have you found mm-hmm. your love again for it? Um. Anything under three Ks of swimming, I'll be all right. <laughs> but um, anything long, like a four or five K swim, which I rarely have, I'm just like, okay, I'll I'll treat myself to a to an ice cream after this or something like that. <laughs> but I think I I, I think I, um, teaching the kids swimming helped more than you know training for a triathlon. Because they're they're super happy all the time after I mean after ten days of swimming they really like it so that brings me joy. Hmm. And so, uh, anything that you've got on your schedule for twenty twenty two? Do you know what's next for you as we start to wrap this up? Um, so, um, hopefully, I get to see you guys in Oceanside next year. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah. So. Um, I heard that, or I saw on the calendar that it's in April next year, and so um, I've already reached out to Kevin and Marissa, saying, "Hey, <laughs> could I stay at your place again?" And they've they've been so kind, and they're like, "Yeah, of course. Well, you know, probably a lot of people might reach out to us, so you're first on the list." And I was like, "Yay!" <laughs> <laughs> That's because they have a palace. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that place is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay, good. Well, we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on that. We'd certainly love to meet you in person. BJ's going to be racing. You're racing that mm-hmm. race, right? Yeah, oh, BJ nice. will be racing. I'll be out there with Clark. So, um, yeah. I love that would goldies. be great to meet you. <laughs> I know, yes, you've got for one. sure. Yeah. Uh, anything else you got your sights set on for next year? Maybe some of those cups over oh, in yeah. Asia? Yeah. Yeah. So most of the racing is in May and I think in October around this region. So hopefully, um, we'll get there. And there's also, um, like a, like, a, a mini South Pacific games where the islands, the islands around this region, like Guam, Saipan, will get together and race. So that would be in June and, it would be one of the first races where I can represent Guam in in those races. So pretty excited. Oh, got to get the kit ready. Got to get the kit. Yeah, you got to get that kit <laughs> yeah. ready. Put that on the list. Um, and uh, do you have your, like, do you have a vision for the next Summer Olympics, perhaps? Uh, yes, hopefully. Um, yeah. That's, where is that's the, next the first conference? step, right? 
in, yeah. in Paris, yeah, in France. Ooh, yeah. awesome. And then I've LA. never been to Europe. Right? So. Yeah. All right, perfect. We'll go to both. Yay. <laughs> go to both. Yay. Go to both. <laughs> Go to the LA ones. We will see you there. Flora won't be there, so you'll have to be there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for sharing oh. your story with us. And, um, and uh, yeah, I'm so excited to just follow you and stay in touch with you. And hopefully we'll see you in April. Yes, thank you so much. And thank you, Kevin, for connecting us. <laughs> They've been so awesome. And they are. Thank you. Thank you.